the vast majority of our trans and non-binary youth are experiencing extreme levels of suicidality, and that is terrifying. You're listening to the Mental Health Download from the nonprofit Mental Health Association Oklahoma. I'm Matt Gleason. On today's episode, our guest is Eden Nay. Eden played a pivotal role in what is known as the PRISM Project. And how it got started is that Tulsa Reaches Out partnered with several Tulsa area organizations to conduct the needs assessment survey to provide outreach, create advocacy groups, and guide policymakers about the needs of Tulsa's sexual and gender minorities, commonly referred to as the LGBTQ plus community. Tulsa Reaches Out commissioned the Hope Research Center at the University of Oklahoma, Tulsa to conduct the survey within Tulsa's community. More than 800 anonymous surveys were completed and analyzed. From this effort, Eden helped create a 73-page report that was released in November 2019. And with all that being said, Eden, welcome to the Mental Health Download. And tell us about your journey with the PRISM Project and how you became such an integral part of this amazing project. (laughs) Wow. Um, So I was... Just finishing up my first year in the Master of Social Work program at OU in Tulsa. And I got connected with Dr. Chan Hellman and his Hope Research Center, saying that I could potentially do my first or my last practicum internship there. Which, side note, I did my first one here at the Mental Health Association under Mike Bros. But yeah, I did that and I got connected and he said, hey, there's some people in town thinking about doing a a sexual and gender minority needs assessment survey, and you might be interested in that. I was like, okay, cool. And then that was summer of 2018, I think. So the whole project itself until now was over a year long. Um, How I got involved after that was really just, I started designing the survey. I started gathering questions from a multitude of other surveys across the country. And I did a lot of analysis too. And it's 73 pages of reported. Yes, and it's, I, I wrote everything except the executive summary. Let's dive right into this. So there, there are several sections of this report, but we're really going to focus on the mental health section. Actually, before we dive into that, I want you to explain to the audience kind of your own personal story and if um, any interactions with mental health services have helped you that's a real broad question, so I'll leave it up to you. Um, okay. Well. <laughs> it's a hard question. How, <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes I have a hard time, like, crossing of, like, what's too much information, what's not. Yeah, um, yeah most definitely. But I'll say that uh, I have a long history in family history as well with mental health, serious mental illness. I've been in therapy a few times. The journey with it all really started when I was about before I turned 18. And that was the first time I was homeless. And then going through college, starting to having to go to therapy, because I'm realizing, hey, I don't experience the world in the same way that other people do. And starting to realize like, okay, there are certain childhood traumatic experiences that influence the way that I interact with the people around me and influence the way that I conceptualize what's happening in the world, Um, being homeless, going through therapy. And then when I did come out, I actually came out while I was doing my internship with Mike Burroughs. He was helpful on that. I came out 
to my parents with whom I was living at the time. Uh, I came out as queer and uh, ended up being homeless again, which was rough, trying to go through grad school and be homeless at the same time. And thankfully, I had a supportive network that kind of scrambled together and got me places to stay for a while until I found somewhere permanent. And I still have some mental health. Uh, mental health is a an aspect of my life that I can't ignore. <laughs> you can ask my partner. He's like, you can't ignore this kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> just because just because a person wants to um, minimalize what happens doesn't mean that it minimalizes the consequences. So, yeah, I have to really deal with that. And also being homeless as a queer person and being homeless because I am a queer person, that kind of fosters a passion for my within me to study this kind of thing. And more specifically, a lot of the research tells us that queer people don't have the means all the time to succeed. And the fact that I was able to stay in school and now I'm in PhD program and like I'm functioning, I don't know why. <laughs> so I want to <laughs> research more and figure out like what can we do as a society to make the world such that queer people can succeed. Yeah. I love that. That is awesome. So here at the Mental Health Association, we know that, you know, when people are, when they do come out to their families that, you know, being rejected is a real possibility and that plays a role. And, you know, there's actually a, um, a pretty high rate of homelessness among people in the LGBTQ community because of that, because they get rejected at a young age and then they have to figure it out from there. So you're 18, and how did you end up experiencing homelessness? When I was 18, nobody really understands why. I was just um, kicked out of my home uh, <laughs> and ended up living at the shelter at my church for about six months before I, ended, before I went to college. And I'm not really sure why that happened. It was... As I said before, I have a family history of serious mental illness, so that has something to do with it. Yeah, I, I, I know that's a really vague response, but I don't quite understand why that happened myself the first okay. time. Yeah. And then how old were you when you, when you were in grad school? So how old were you when you, were, when you experienced homelessness again? That was, I think I was, that was in 2017. So that was when I was 22 years old. Okay. And so you're 25 now? 24, yeah. 24. Okay. Yeah. Um, Almost 25. And what, you know, what did that second time of experiencing homelessness, what was that like? And how did you balance grad school with that? And how, how are you, basically, how, how did you survive all that? That's amazing. Um, I don't quite under, I don't quite know, <laughs> but there were certain times that, uh, <laughs> I, just, I emailed my professors and I was like, hey, I'm not going to be in class this week because this has happened and it's either I go to a trip to Dallas to visit my best friend and just not do anything for a week or I drop out of school. And they were like, you take that trip to Dallas. <laughs> I was like, great, <laughs> I'm going to do that. Um, different things like that. I was fortunate enough to have a supportive group of people in administration over me. So I went and talked to Tiffany Adamson, who's the director of like the practicum experience at the social work program, um, talked to various professors and 
they were able to scrounge up like a scholarship for me and uh, that helped a lot. And I think that was the mental health stipend actually for being in the mental health association. It was definitely hard. I There are certain aspects of sanity that suffer. Uh, stop really laughing and stop really like just kind of quality of life goes down a lot. But I guess I, I made it through that. You did. I'm so glad. Okay. Uh, whew, big, let's, let's actually get to the report now. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, um, you know, in this, in this section um, on mental health, the first thing that it's talked about is that most adults reported high levels of hope, 84.8% and flourishing 79% indicating that they have a, that they have set positive goals for their lives identified pathways to achieve those goals and have high levels of agency. So was that surprising to you or did, is that what you expected that they would, that people in the, in this community would have such a high level of hope despite all the challenges that they face? Well, the, the statement that they had high hope doesn't mean as much to me as it might mean to some other people, simply because the hope scale and the flourishing scales, those are not diagnostic tools. Um, the way that we come to like low, medium, and high is that we just base it off of uh, they either didn't agree, like we're neutral, or they did agree. The mean of the responses fit into three categories. So overall, high hope means that overall they generally agreed with the items that were in the hope scale. But again, that doesn't have a lot of like diagnostic weight to it. It just means that they had some agreement with agency pathways and hope. Okay. All yeah. right. Um, okay. Um, and then challenges. Uh, participants reported significantly high exposure to childhood trauma. This is not the least bit um, surprising because Oklahoma has is number one in the nation for ACE scores, which those are adverse childhood experiences. And so in this report, it shows that nearly two-thirds reported two or more adverse childhood experiences and that's much higher than the national rate of 38%. And actually 37% of the people in the survey reported four or more ACEs compared to 15, 8% nationally. So like I said, not surprising, but when you hear that, what, what do you think? Um, yeah, not surprising at all to me, considering the context. You mentioned earlier that queer youth, sexual and gender minority youth are vastly overrepresented in the homeless populations. Yeah, anything could go wrong in this population's lives, and it probably will. Yeah, so this next part, rates of intimate partner violence and unwanted sexual contact are high, um, especially among SGM individuals assigned female at birth. And um, explain what SGM means. That it's an acronym for sexual and gender minority. It's a research term that I use simply because the the more commonly used acronym LGBTQ plus is not necessarily inclusive. Sexual and gender minorities takes the concept of human sexual identity as composed of two parts, which is gender identity, um, which is composed of a lot of things, and then sexual orientation. So if anyone that's not cisgender is a gender minority, anyone that's not 
uh, strictly heterosexual is sexual minority. So I combine them two together and it's sexual and gender minorities. And and so let's talk about language real quick. Um, so we we you know you might be getting these... yourself in a bad conversation here because oh, I love language. Oh, good, good. Um, I do too. So you know, here at the association, we use person first language. We talk, you know, people with mental illness, people who have experienced homelessness, people who have been justice involved. Um, but just just like you said, um, when people talk about this population, it's difficult. To, they're they're not sure what acronyms they should use or so could you just give our audience kind of a crash course on what you would recommend for you know just regular people to to communicate in a very compassionate and understanding way which is really hard and i know (laughs) um can you can you clarify the question a little bit? Sure. Uh, so, so you know, I think you know you said, and and a lot of this is really coming from. Can you explain this to me? Because <laughs> you know, I want to be, um, I want to be using the right language because I know how important that is. So, you know, I I've struggled in the past with like, do you say gay or you know you you use to queer. So, do I use queer? Um, you know, do I say LGBTQ plus? Or do I say, um, you know, people who are in the gay community or people who are LGBTQ plus or, you know, just like you said, this I've never heard of SGM before. Um, I think it's awesome and I would like to start using that. But if is that something you came up with or is that something that's nationally known? Just help me, Eden. Please. (laughs) (laughs) I'll try my best. So a little context to the term sexual and gender minority. Um, It's an up and growing term and you see it a lot more in research. So I don't expect people to use that all the time in their regular speech because half the people, unless they read the journals that I read, then they're not going to understand what that is. Uh, And I don't. There's no problem with that. Um, the more typical ones that you see are LGBTQ+, or LGBTQIA+. Um, those are pretty safe to use. The issue with uh, what words do you use when you're in contact with someone who's of that community, it's generally it's safe about to just let them describe themselves. Don't make assumptions. Part of gay affirmative practice or just affirmative practice in general. It's a social work thing. You don't make assumptions about your clients. Allow them to describe their partners. Allow them to describe themselves. Don't assume that just because the person is presenting as male that they're experiencing the world as such or that they prefer masculine things or even that their partner is going to be feminine. So there's just... A lot of different aspects to that and I understand it's really complicated when you get into the research side of it it gets even more complicated uh, because two people who use the same label to describe themselves can be very different and that makes research on certain populations very complicated and complex so part of what you see in this study that we did we let people choose a label for themselves, describe their behavior, and also describe their attraction. And those three components make up how we measured sexual orientation. So yeah, various things like that. I don't think 
the words that you use are going to be as important as they might seem. It seems like a monumental task of getting everything correct, but just maintain an open posture and of compassion and openness and not confining people to words that you think should fit them. Yes, I love that. Um, so we actually have this campaign that we've been running all year. It's called See Me. And we've asked people um, to, you know, how do you want the world to, to, to see you? Um, so if I, if I asked you that, Eden, how do you want the world to see you? <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm generally a really sassy person and <laughs> lately I've been coming to terms with my own feelings of anger as an emotion that is natural. Uh, I don't enjoy feeling anger, but it enjoys coming up in me. So I've settled on this uh, <laughs> phrase that's probably not the most appropriate phrase is, but I'm just like, I'm just going to be the angry socialist, uh, angry queer socialist professor that your pastor warned you about. Um, and that's kind of where I'm at right now. <laughs> nice. And, and the pronoun you prefer is? They, them, and theirs. When you explain what your pronoun is, like, how's the world dealing with that? <laughs> you know? Oh. And how do you feel about it? Pretty much Everyone that I tell, they're like, oh, okay. And then they'll try a couple times and then it just slips back into the, the ingrained grammar rules and everything. I'll sometimes correct them, but other times it's like not an appropriate circumstance. I'm generally not one to get very angry about people using the wrong pronouns for me unless I know that they're just doing it because like I have someone in my life who just doesn't believe that sort of thing. And it's like, okay, I mean, I can't make you. <laughs> but yeah, it's more of a, a grammar thing. I will say I have a step up on the rest of the world because as a queer person who was closeted for so long, I got really, really good at using uh, they, them pronouns for potential future partners for myself. <laughs> so that I wasn't, I wasn't outing myself, but also wasn't making people think that I was completely heterosexual either. So it just got secondhand nature to me. Thank you. I appreciate all of that explanation. Next up, here we go. Back to the report. Um, yes. Let's talk about... By the way, are you looking at the, the report side or are you looking at like the executive summary? I think I'm looking at the executive summary. Uh, just because it's easier. Do you want to? <laughs> well, kind of, I was, you said that you're saying like the first couple of things we see, and I'm like, I don't all right, see those sorry. here. Yeah, the executive summary. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, on the, I'm on the same page. I went to OU and I typed in prison project, and I, I have the 73 page version, but yes, <laughs> I'm using the condensed uh, Cliff Notes version of your brilliant report. Okay, so the next thing is that mental health diagnosis uh, and serious psychological distress are prevalent among SGM respondents, especially among youth and gender minority individuals. Two-thirds reported diagnosis related to anxiety or depression. In the present study, youth reported experiencing anxiety and depression 11% higher than adults. Were you surprised by this or not? I was not Actually, um, from what I am aware, the rates of anxiety and depression are rising, especially within younger younger generations and also within 
sexual and gender minorities. It seems it to be expected. Does it make me happy? No. I, it makes me mad. However, as far as just, yeah, that was an expected result. Uh, the thing about that question is it was a an item where you said, has a doctor or mental health professional ever told you that you have this? And it gave a, a, a brief list of items and then it had a place where they could just specify their own. That assumes that they were diagnosed by a doctor or a mental health professional. And it also assumes that they took the time that if their diagnosis wasn't on there, that they put it in there. Um, we know that both of those probably limited the results, so you might even see higher higher rates. Because we also know that mental health goes quite often undiagnosed. Mm -hmm. Yes. Next section, suicide. So it says, suicidality is strikingly higher among the study sample, especially among youth. 21.6% of adults, which is five times the national average, and 59% of youth, which is three times the national average, reported suicidal ideation. Surprised? Not surprised? Um, I wasn't surprised that it was higher. We're going to see, just on principle and by theory, we're going to see that within sexual and gender minorities, the suicidality rates are going to be higher. Um, just how much higher they were was distressing to me, seeing that sick, almost 60% of sexual and gender minority youth will want to, will have serious thoughts about ending their own lives within the next year. That was incredibly distressing to me. Um, the rates go up the further uh, marginalized the population gets. So if you get into gender minority youth, that same number goes up to over three quarters. The vast majority of our trans and non-binary youth are experiencing extreme levels of suicidality. And that is terrifying. Yeah. You know, as far as suicide prevention for the SGM community, what are some of the solutions that we need to be looking at to really bring those rates of suicide down? I mean, suicide is just one. It's just it's hard to say this is what we need to do. So I'm not expecting, you know, you to give me like the magic wand solution. But, you know, what are what are some of the things that you would like to see done to reduce the rate of suicide among this population? Well, suicide has some very specific predictors and among sexual and gender minorities, there's even additional predictors of suicide or risk factors. <laughs> you can look into community and social climate or school climate. We know that our students are being bullied at greater rates. They're facing violence and victimization at greater rates. And just the idea that do trans and non-binary youth even know where they're allowed to use the bathroom at right now? Like uh, sexual education in Oklahoma, they're not allowed to use the terms gay or any of that. We don't have inclusive sexual education. Um, matter of fact, we don't even have comprehensive sexual education for straight people. Uh, it's just, why is this happening? I tend to aim higher as far as the political and social interventions, just because that's my mindset. I'm a more macro level social worker. I see things as like the level of power that people have over their communities is pretty low at this point. 
We have a wonderful equality center in Tulsa, but it's downtown and it's like, that's not accessible to everyone, just simply by the nature of where it is. Um, you have people who can't go because they're not out yet. And if they try to go to something like that, they'll be immediately outed. Just it's there's when you look into something like this, it's exceedingly complex and depressing to look into. The biggest things that my, I personally want to try to influence is to make sure that our schools are safe places for these students to go to and try to keep using that open general posture and encourage that, hey, like <laughs> people belong no matter what they do, who they are, what they look like. It's just like people are people are people and they belong in our place and our communities. Amen. I love that. Let's talk about now this the the official section on solutions. Let's 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 talk about solutions. So the 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 executive summary says we hope readers will consider committing their resources, influence and networks to come up with creative solutions to the persistent challenges faced by sexual and gender minorities so that we can continue making progress together as one community. So you touched on that with suicide but and I'm sure you're going to be asked this question a lot but Eden, you know these stats better than anybody else. So, you know, if you're in front of an audience and they say, look, we hear you. We know there's a problem. What do you want us to do? So what what do you want us to do, Eden? <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, that's a, that's a hard question. I know I should have an answer, but um, if I'm going to be honest, I don't have an answer because I don't have an answer for myself. Um, that's why I am... I just actually today got accepted to the sociology department and I'm going to be trying to focus my studies on social movements and uh, social change because I'm doing all this research and I know these problems, but at the end of the day, it seems almost impossible to try to get changes established. Um, it seems you have the legalization of gay marriage and it's a big victory and everything. But just a few years later, like trans people can no longer serve in the military. Trans people may or may not be able to legally be denied services in the medical industries. You still have these very popular talk show hosts. You have these very popular politicians and celebrities or whatever. And they have such a massive following. I have students who have like iHeart and it has their name. And I'm like, what is that? What is that saying? Because I know that that person is ex incredibly homophobic and also incredibly transphobic. Like that's their whole shtick. So part of why I'm going on and I'll just be in school forever is that I want to know like, <laughs> hey, what's the information out there? How does things actually change on the social level? Because I can work all I want to make sure that the people around me know that I love them and know that I support and affirm them and everything. But yet, if I know that they're just going to go right back into a school that doesn't, if they live in a community that doesn't, uh, they get stared at or that worse, they get physically assaulted just by going to a gas station and having a rainbow shirt on their shirt, rainbow on their shirt. I don't know. I, it seems rel relatively hopeless at this point, just to me. And I know that's my story, but that's what drives me to keep studying and to keep researching because I can't accept that as an answer. How important is it to have this data? to show people? What is the power of in numbers to make progress 
in all of these issues that people are facing today? Well, um, speaking about some of those popular talk show hosts and all of that, like there's one who has this phrase that facts don't care about your feelings. And once you get data that shows that over 75% of a gender minority students want to die, then I can be like, hey, facts don't care about your feelings. Maybe we should start using people's pronouns. Maybe we should start using and letting people use the bathroom of their choice. Just basic human decency, um, basic human right to feel like they belong in a setting, I don't really care that that upsets you and that you feel like I'm infringing on your rights because you think people should be a certain way. These people are dying. They're actually dying. And I don't really care because they have needs (laughs) and I'm going to meet them. Yes. So this is going to be a really powerful weapon, this report, right? I mean, not just in Tulsa, but not just in Oklahoma, but I mean, this is going to be something that researchers just like yourself across the nation, across the globe are going to be citing, um, especially because <laughs> Oklahoma is kind of, you know, we are at the very bottom of pretty much every uh, statistic. We have that reputation. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, it's going to be interesting to see um, w- how this, uh, the ripple effect of this report. What do you think? is going to happen? Well, I think actually people will stop being able to excuse ignoring us. Tulsa recently had its equity indicators and they left sexual and gender minorities off because they said there wasn't any data out there. And now I'm like, hey, there is data. Maybe you should take a look at this. The last report that they did about 15 years ago was instrumental in getting people funding um, as far as like nonprofit social service agencies. I'm hoping that continues and might even get better. That, that aside, my hope and expectation for this report is that people can walk away having evidence that they can show people, hey, this is a real need. And these certain agencies around town, they're already doing great work. Let's support that and let's make it better. Let's make it bigger, better, all of the above. Yeah. Okay. So the the link to this report will be in our show notes, but in, can you tell people how they can find it online? It's pretty easy to find online. You can type in um, OU Tulsa Prison Project or Google Prison Project Tulsa, and you should find that link. It's housed in, it's not an OU study, but it's housed and hosted on OU Tulsa's website. Uh, once you go to that website, you'll see the, the major, the final report. Um, they also have different PowerPoint slides for uh, if you if you wanted to present certain information, they have different briefs based on the different uh, outcomes. So like we went over mental health today, there's some in medical experiences, there's some on um, more like family experiences. There are di- like six or eight different ones. I can't remember at this point, but uh, there's those on there. And yeah, it's pretty pretty simple to navigate. Before we go, I want you to talk about um, so Jedediah Bragg, who did was kind enough to be on the mental health download uh, a few weeks ago, uh, talking about Koa. Uh, we love Koa. He just was so excited uh, that you were going to do this podcast. Um, I'm just curious, how has Jedediah helped you over the years? Mm. 
he's not going to like this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> neither of us like to be in the spotlight, so I'm going to really put him in the spotlight here. <laughs> he was influential in the fact that um, I had one class with him, and he noticed, like, hey, you're intelligent, you have a drive, you have passion for this, like, you should pursue this. Um, he opened up an opportunity. I became his GA. Um, he made sure I was able to get connected with the Hope Research Center. Um, got me going to conferences, helped me build up my like resume slash curriculum vita. He helped me like look up PhD programs to go to. Um, he, of course, wrote the letter of recommendation, all of the above. It was, Nice. I've never been one to have like role models. I know there are people out there that say that everyone has one, but with Dr. Bragg or Judd, he was someone that like, okay, I can see that it's possible to make it as a gay person, as a queer person, and also <laughs> weirdly enough, as a person who hates people. <laughs> <laughs> I I really don't I'm a social worker, but I really just don't like being around people. Um, I'm very introverted. I'm at home at my computer, running numbers, reading, things like that. So we've had many a conversation of like, hey, if I'm going to succeed, do I really need to be outgoing to all of these social events and like n news conferences? And it's like, no, not really. You can make <laughs> it without that. And like, thank you for that validation. <laughs> I love that. Okay. And then um, uh, just as Jedediah did for us, um, at the end of every show, we, we have the guest say um, the uh, motto of the battle cry of Mike Bros, which is go do good things. He tells us that um, at, at the end of each meeting. So uh, Eden, if you could just give us a few parting words to you know, rally people uh, behind your cause and then close us out with the words, go do good things. So I'll leave you to it. Oh, boy. Um, I'm not good at rally cries. <laughs> so, <clears throat> I would say sometimes it can be very intimidating in the face of a monumental task such as making the world a better and more equitable place. Um, but justice starts with the individual. Uh, and the little worlds that we make for ourselves. We can make our little worlds better by not making assumptions around other people. Um, part of that whole, how do I use the right language, use the right pronouns, it's just practice. Make sure that you have people in your world that use those pronouns. Um, if you're gonna say anything about it, you should probably have someone like that in your world. Um, do things like that. If you notice that your school is not a safe place, maybe talk to people. Try to, um, I have a hard time myself being like, do I even have any power with like makeup and wearing my queer outfits and everything, going to the state senate and looking at my senators, the guy who tried to make all wildlife property of God Almighty. And I'm like, maybe I don't have much power there, but hey, if I get angry enough, shake my fists enough, I can be quite a bit of a nuisance and maybe he'll just try to get me out of his hair. So go be angry and go do good things. <laughs> oh, that was amazing. Thank you so much. We're done. Thank you. Okay, that was fun. <laughs>